This morning we're starting our new series called The Helper, which is about the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to help us. So we're going to start in Acts and chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read just a handful of verses where Jesus, having been crucified, having been raised from the dead, and then gathering his disciples, begins to make a wonderful promise to them. So in Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 4, where it says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, we thank you for your presence with us here. We thank you for your word. We pray right now for the Holy Spirit to rest upon us, to lead us into truth. Come be our teacher, Holy Spirit. Come quicken the word to our hearts. Lord, we pray you will satisfy our desire to be filled with your fullness, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, some have said that verse 8, which I've just read to you, one of the verses I read to you, is the kind of key to the understanding of the whole book of Acts because here you have... A, a promise of empowering from God for, for a group of guys who, to be honest, were far from impressive uh, through the Gospels. As you follow them through the Gospels, you find them uh, denying Jesus, you find them running away, you find often they don't understand what he's talking about. And when it came to the cross itself, it says they all fled. And uh, Peter literally denied that he was even with him. And you think, how, co how could these people in such a short space of time, earn the testimony, they're turning the world upside down. Thousands of people becoming Christians in Jerusalem, and then they're going across the nations, planting churches right around the Mediterranean. You think, how on earth could that happen? And uh, here, this, people have said, this is the key. Verse 8, you shall receive power. And the Greek word is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamic dynamic power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Something's going to happen to you which will change and transform you and take away your limitations and weakness and make you effective. God's going to do something to you. Now, these are, are Jewish guys, so, I mean, that's not such a strange notion to them because they know their Bibles and they've got lots of history in the Old Testament where the Spirit came upon people. So you read about Gideon, for instance. Gideon was famously scared. Uh, you first meet him hiding in a cave, uh, and God comes to him and calls him a mighty man and commissions him. But then you find the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon, and he just becomes unrecognizably different. Courageous, strong, 
leads a tiny little army against thousands and is totally victorious. Similar with David, the Spirit, it says, came upon David and he became a mighty king. Again and again, you see in the Old Testament, usually just special people, the Spirit comes upon them. So when Jesus said the Spirit will come upon you, well, that's, that's not a, a kind of novel idea. It's, the Old Testament's full of it. But in the Old Testament, it tends to be isolated figures. It tends to be a prophet, like Elijah. Remember, Elijah, powerful man, incredibly powerful, spoke to a whole nation. And when he's beginning to come to the end of his ministry, he's told to take Elisha kind of under his wing, prepare him. And then when he's going to be taken, Elisha says, look, if I'm going to continue what you started, I must have the same power that you had, obviously. And he won't let go. And he said, well, I, I must have that same Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Elisha. And he continues the ministry that Elijah started. Rather like in the Gospels, Jesus is empowered by the Spirit coming upon him. And he says to the disciples, now you've got to continue this. Well, how can we do that without that same power coming upon us? You find also in the Old Testament that prophets, priests, kings, judges, they're clothed with power, but there's also this promise. First of all, in Isaiah, it says the Spirit will be poured out from on high. Not just isolated figures, but a widespread outpouring is going to come. And then in Joel, it says in Joel, in the last days, my Spirit will be poured upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions, uh, God's going to pour out His Spirit widely. It's a new age, what Paul calls in Corinthians the dispensation of the Spirit, the age of the Spirit, which is what we're in. This promise then of empowering, this promise that life can be radically changed for followers of Jesus. These guys have been following Jesus for three years and then suddenly they're empowered and transformed, really. Now, for myself as a young Christian, I thought, uh, is that something that I could seek? Can that happen to me? Because I was very aware of serious limitation as a Christian. I, I felt powerless, especially in the realm of witnessing. He said, you should receive power. You should be my witness. You'll, you will bear witness to me. And that's where Peter failed. When they said, are you with Jesus? No, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And that was often happening in my life. I wouldn't literally say I'm not with him, but I darkened avoid opportunity to talk about Jesus. I think maybe guys at the workplace may have known I went to church, maybe, but I didn't witness to them about Jesus. And I, I was growingly concerned about that. And uh, the pastor of the Baptist church I used to attend would say, you like Peter before or after Pentecost? Are you, are you full of the Spirit? Uh, he didn't tell us how to get there, really, but he kind of urged us to be full of the Spirit. And, and that really stirred me because I thought, I want, I want to, to find that transformation. I began to read about it. But to be honest, as I read, I got a bit more confused because I found that great Bible teachers, like a John Stott and a Martin Lloyd-Jones, who were the great preachers of that generation, uh, they disagreed. One said, no, no, there's nothing more. The other said, yes, seek God for that power. I thought, well, if they don't agree, there's not much chance I'll work it out. And I kind of thought, oh, well, forget it. And then gradually God 
began to really stir me and, and give me a real longing, longing. And there came a kind of a crisis day, which I'll tell you about later, when I just thought, I must sort this out. I really must, because it's no longer a matter of indifference. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. And it was a, a real longing. I, what I found was that there were kind of three or four different teachings around when I began to search. The first one said this, effectively, that when you are saved, when you become a Christian, actually you've received the Holy Spirit, and that's more or less all there is to say about it. Uh, you will grow uh, in your experience of the Spirit. That's an ongoing, gradual thing. But essentially, it's done. You've, you, you know, you receive the Spirit when you're converted. And, that, and then there were other people who, who said, there was the kind of, the Keswick teaching was quite popular at that time. Uh, not quite so prominent these days, but it was then. Uh, and I'm reading about this, I'm reading these books. Uh, and they talked about like a second blessing, and they associated it with a kind of a surrender in your life to God. And you'll find many of the hymns in the Keswick hymnal talk about surrender and uh, total surrender, and lots of illustrations in old Keswick sermon books, which I've got some of. You'll find there's illustrations of you empty out the glass, God will fill it. It's like if you really surrender to God, you're kind of, you become spirit-filled. That The two go hand in hand. And, that, and then there was a, another kind of teaching which um, was called Pentecostal, which I thought, well, I don't know what that is at the time. I'm going back many years. And it was like, well, you pray until you speak in tongues, then you've got it. I thought, oh, which, which of these is accurate? What's, what's the real thing here? What, what does the Bible teach? And actually, the Bible's, and this is what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says so helpfully. He says the Gospels are all pointing forward. The Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they, they say this is going to happen. This is going to happen. The end of John's Gospel, it talks about the Comforter's going to come. He's going to come. In the end of Luke, it says, now don't leave Jerusalem until. It's all pointing for, it's, there's something going to happen, future. When you read the epistles later in the New Testament, the letters of Peter, Paul, John, these letters all write as though it's already happened. And they assume it's happened. It's the same as water baptism. You will never find an instruction in any of the, these letters to say you must be baptized. It's, they assume it. it's already happened. And so the Gospels are looking forward, the Epistles are looking backward. And Lloyd-Jones says this, if you want to know what happens, you have to read the book of Acts. That's when it's recorded the Spirit was poured out. And so it's important for us to see what God did in those days. So I'd like to take us on a little Bible study in Acts to see what happened. We're just going to look at a few occurrences when the Spirit came upon people. Power was given to people. Now, obviously, the day of Pentecost is the one we all know about. That's the high-profile one. The 120 are in the upper room. They're praying. Suddenly, from heaven, there's a mighty wind. Suddenly, fire falls upon them. Suddenly, they're full of the Spirit. They start speaking new languages. They spill out into the public place, and thousands start gathering, saying, hey, listen to them. They're all speaking in our own languages, these mighty uh, things about God. They're not preaching, they're speaking mighty things about God. And then Peter stands up and preaches in a common tongue, and they all say, ah, what must we do to be saved? And they get baptized. P 
Peter preaches to them. It's the speaking in tongues. Hey, that guy's worshipping God in my language. Hey, she's worshipping God in my language. What is going on here? There's this supernatural outbreak. Now, it's a little difficult for us to build from only the day of Pentecost because these people were following Jesus before the cross, before the resurrection, through all these things. So, when did it all happen? Well, they lived through those things. It's a bit difficult for us to put ourselves in their world. But we can ask this, what happened to people who became Christians after all these events? Because that's where we fit. What happened to people later? So we're going to have a little look at that because the New Testament's full of it. So in Acts chapter 8, if you want to follow with me, we're just looking at Acts chapter 8, first of all. It says that Philip, the evangelist, went down to Samaria and he preached. And uh, this is what it says. When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And then it says this, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here is an early gospel outreach an evangelist called Philip, he goes to Samaria, people respond, they become Christian, he baptizes them. Hey, the word of God's been received. Now news gets to Jerusalem, where the apostles are, hey, these people are getting saved. They send down Peter and John, and they say, hey, the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen on them yet. So they lay hands on these people who've been saved a few days, however long it took the message to get from Samaria to Jerusalem, and for them to get from Jerusalem to Samaria, a gap of a few days perhaps, they lay hands on them, the Spirit falls upon them. So that's one case. Then you look over the page, Acts 9. Acts Acts chapter 9 says that Paul, having just been saved in this dramatic conversion, it's the most famous conversion in the New Testament, Paul gives his own testimony twice later in the book of Acts, how he was on this road, he was hostile to the gospel, suddenly saw light from heaven, suddenly Jesus is speaking to him. And uh, he says later in Corinthians, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, shone into my heart, giving me the revelation of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This guy's killing Christians, suddenly Jesus is alive. He is the Lord. He gets saved. He gets saved. Then one thing we sometimes fail to see, three days later, in verse 17, it says this, Ananias, we don't know who he was. He he wasn't a very significant guy. We don't know anything about him. He was served by God. He entered the house. After laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, Christian brother, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that you may regain your sight, because this incredible bright light stole his sight, that you may recover your sight and and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Saul's testimony would be this. I was converted on the Damascus Road. Three days later, 
Ananias laid hands on me and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That would be Paul's testimony. Then one more. Acts chapter 19. If we had time, we could look at Acts 10 as well, but we won't. We'll jump to Acts 19. This is another important time. It says the gospel was enlarging. Go to Corinth, a uh, big one, Ephesus. So Acts 19, it says this. Paul came to Ephesus and found some disciples. That's what our Bibles say. He found some disciples. Now normally, when it says disciples in the New Testament, it means Christians. But it doesn't always. You'll find the Bible speaks about the, the Pharisees had their disciples. John the Baptist had his disciples. Now it looks like Paul thinks they're Christians. But as you see the conversation, it's very clear. He says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we've never even heard there's a Holy Spirit. They don't know what he's talking about. So he, he says, that, hey, what were you baptized in then? And they said, in John's baptism. What does that mean? Well, it means John the Baptist, whose message had gone far and wide. I mean, thousands were baptized by John. It says in the, in the Gospels, all Jerusalem, all Judea, actually, all Judea went out to hear John and were being baptized by him. It was a national revival. Thousands of people were being baptized by John, and that message must have gone around. So these people have just heard John's message. They're disciples of John. They've heard, repent, get ready. That was John's message. And so you'll find Paul explains this. He says in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Yeah, we know that. Telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. In other words, this is very abbreviated, but he told them about Jesus. He said John was getting ready for Jesus. We know that. We've read the Gospels. I'm preparing the way. And so he tells them about Jesus. After hearing this, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, now they are brought to Christ. And now he baptizes them. They become real Christians now. Then, what we can overlook, but we don't need to, is what it says next. You feel like they're kind of still dripping with baptismal water. It says this, Then Paul laid his hands upon them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 of them. So these guys were saved when they heard the full message about Jesus and then baptized. They don't baptize people until they're believers. They're Christians now. He's baptized them, and then he lays hands on them. What with Samaria? Samaria took a gap of a few days. What happened with Paul was a three-day gap between conversion and the hands laying on. Here, it's just a few moments. They're still they're just dripping with water. He lays hands on the Holy Spirit, comes upon them. So let's just back up then. These are some of the New Testament stories. And come to those uh, different philosophies that I said I read about. There were those who said, when you get converted, you have received the Spirit. That's it. That's all there is to say about it. There's nothing more. You will gradually grow in the Spirit, but essentially, that's it. That's what some would teach. You've had it. That's it. Or don't look for something more. You've got it. That's what they would teach. But here, Paul didn't have that experience. The Samaritans didn't have that experience. Even these guys in Ephesus, until they had the laying on of hands, they haven't had that experience. 
So in the Bible itself, we find that people have a coming upon of the Spirit which is subsequent to conversion. It happens when people lay hands on people, for instance. Laying on of hands is quite often there. So the teaching that says, no, you've already got it, that's all there is to say, doesn't actually stand up to what happened. It's important to see that. And actually, to be honest, if you ask people, okay, so you're saying you've received everything then, that, that's it, so, so are you full of the Spirit then? Is that what you're saying? Very often they'll say, no, no, I'm not saying I'm full of the Spirit. I, that, you know, I'll gradually grow into that. You know, that's a life journey. That will, that will gradually happen. People will say that sort of thing. But again, that's not what it says in the Bible. We need to build from the Bible. And it says here, Paul says, have you received the Spirit? He said, no. Then he lays hands upon them, and the Spirit comes upon them. They're speaking in tongues, they're prophesying. If he'd said to them now, have you filled with the Spirit now? I don't think they'd have said, well, I'm gradually... I think, yes, we're there. It's happened. That is the way it was in the Bible. It, they, the Spirit fell upon them. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, look at the prepositions. He fell upon them. The coming upon of the Spirit. And, and they, they would say, yes, I've received now. I hadn't, but now I have. It's plain in the Bible. So the teaching that says, no, it's okay, it's all done, there's nothing more, is missing what the Bible is offering. The Spirit came upon people. It came upon these guys who'd followed Jesus for three years. They'd been followers of Jesus. He'd said to them, you're clean through the word, your branches, I'm the true vine. You know you're in on this, but wait till you're empowered. Now these people were being empowered when the Spirit came. The kind of teaching that says, which I would call Keswick teaching, which is not so prominent anymore, but it used to be, well, the coming of the Spirit is like when you surrender your life. And I've got the old Keswick hymn book, and you've got lots of songs about surrender, I surrender. And, it's, uh, and there's lots of illustrations about you empty out the vessel, he'll fill it. It's like, if you empty, he comes in, and that's kind of automatic. But again, I, I honestly believe we all have lots of experiences of God. I know for myself, I would think after I'd been saved four or five years, I, I think I did, I surrendered my life to God, but that didn't mean I was suddenly filled. In fact, it was then I began to long for more. It was then I began to think, is there more for me? Can I have more? I, was, I began to get very thirsty for it. In fact, that would be my story that uh, I, I would often feel, but surely there's more. Surely there's more. And, and for me, it happened as a bit of a crisis because I got confused and just left it. Uh, and then one, one Sunday, I, you know, I was beginning to grow in God. I honestly felt I was getting to know God after years of foolish backsliding. Uh, and I led a little Bible study in the church uh, in a small group. You know, and I thought, hey, things are making progress. And one Sunday afternoon, literally just after having done that, there's a, a time to kill because it's the evening meeting, you, you know, morning and evening. And, and uh, uh, so I, I'm walking along Brighton Seafront. I used to go to the Baptist Church in Hove. I'm walking along Brighton Seafront on a Sunday afternoon in the summer. And as I get along to the fish market area, there's an upper promenade and a lower promenade. And I see this crowd. I think, what's going on here? And there's some rather frail elderly ladies on the lower promenade, and they're singing, and they're talking about Jesus, and they're holding up banners, and people are throwing things at them, cigarette packets and apple cores, and they're mocking them, and they're saying, yeah, silly old fools. And, and I thought, oh, God, this is terrible. 
and, and, and these rather frail ladies, frail voices. I thought, oh, this is such a shame. And, and I felt God said to me, I called young men to do that. What about you? I said, don't get me doing that. That's not my world. And then just in front of me, I mean, it's still vivid in my memory, there were two guys talking together. They were there with their families, these two men. And, and one turned to the other and said, look at those silly old fools. Why don't they keep their religion to themselves? Why don't they keep it in their church? And I felt, well, at least witness. You know, you're here, you speak to them. You may not be called to preach, but come on. Ooh, once again, one, once again, I backed off. But I mean, can't really use that experience because I went home. I was devastated. I just got on my knees and said, God, I've got to get through. I can't bear this. Surely, this is just like Peter. It's like, I don't know him. And now, uh, and I, anyway, I, I knew a guy through a mutual friend that I used to have lunch with often. I worked in London, lived in Brighton. And I phoned him on the Monday morning. And I got to work. I said, I must see you. He said, what's the deal? I said, I must see you. Now, he was, he was just always witnessing to people. And I, I used to have lunch with him sometimes. And if I arrived a little late, he's always speaking to people about Jesus, giving out tracts and things. And I used to think, wow, I wish I could do that. And I also thought, I wish you wouldn't do that. It's this kind of horrible dilemma inside, being scared stiff but longing for the kind of freedom he enjoyed. And I said, I must see you. So I saw, what is it with you? He said, oh, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, I must have what you've got. I must. I said, well, come to our church. Come next Sunday. Come and be prayed for. So we talked a bit during that week, and I went the next Sunday to his church in London. I was longing to get through, longing to find the answer. I just couldn't, I couldn't find the answer. And I thought, well, where do you, where do you get through in this? And uh, this, this teaching that you've got everything, no, there was obviously, there was more. There's possibility of more. Possibility of more. And I began to long for, what is it? What is it? Why was it that the early apostles were told to wait? Wait. That's what I read to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Wait until you receive power. But after that, no one's ever told to wait. Did you notice that? So when, when these guys got saved in Samaria, it says Peter and John came down and they didn't say, oh, there's more. You need to wait somewhere. They laid hands on them. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. Straight away. When Ananias came to Paul, he didn't say to Paul, you're going to be an apostle. You better find an upper room somewhere. Better go and wait. He just laid hands on them. Holy Spirit fell on them. Straight away. Acts 19, these guys are still dripping with baptismal water. Talk about wait. They didn't have a chance to wait. They laid hands on them and the Spirit fell upon them. No one is ever told to wait for the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. No one's told to wait. They immediately have hands laid upon them. So why were the other ones told to wait? What's the deal? Can we just quickly look to John's Gospel, and here we'll begin to wind up. John's Gospel, chapter 7, where we find Jesus saying some very important words about the Holy Spirit. John 7. It says in verse 37... On the last day, the great day of the feast, this was a, one of the great feast days where thousands would gather in Jerusalem. They did it for Passover, they did it for Pentecost. On this great day, they remembered how God provided for them through the wilderness, and they would, they would celebrate God's provision in their history. And there would be a ceremonial pouring out of water as part of the deal. 
And on that day, Jesus pushed through the crowd and shouted out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his guts, out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. Then it says this, this he spoke of the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive, but the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Right? So if you had been in that crowd and he said, anyone thirsty, come. You think, yeah, I'm thirsty, I'm coming. What would he have said? Not yet, sorry, not yet. But I'm thirsty, you said. No, no, not yet. The Spirit is not yet given. Why? Aren't I good enough? Nothing to do with you. Listen, nothing to do with you. So at the end, we might pray for people. We just did in the first meeting. People got filled with the Spirit at the end of the first meeting. You might say, oh, I'm not worthy. No, I don't think, hey, no, no, you're not worthy, okay? Sometimes people say, like, I'm waiting to be worthy. How long are you going to wait? See, Peter, was Peter worthy? Peter got explosively filled with the Spirit, preached to thousands. Worthy? A few days earlier, he'd said, I'm not with him. It says he cursed and swore and said, I'm not with him. Worthy? Not really very worthy at all. It doesn't say if anyone's worthy, holy. It says if anyone's thirsty. If anyone's thirsty. That's all it says. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. And from that time, Jesus said, not yet. Why? Because he's not yet glorified. Nothing to do with you. I'm not saying, no, you're not worthy of this yet. No, not yet, because I have yet to be glorified. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus is going up to the cross, resurrection, ascension into heaven. He's going to be glorified. And Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and said this, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we're witnesses. But he says this, he now being exalted at the right hand of God has shed forth this, which, well, all these people are full of the Holy Spirit. They look like a load of drunks. They're full of the Holy Spirit. He has poured forth this, who? This one who's now glorified. He is now exalted. Oh, now he's exalted. We don't have to wait any longer. We don't have to wait any longer. The Holy Spirit is given because he's glorified. So from that day on, although the 12 were told, wait, wait for this, then it happens, whoosh. No one is told to wait after that. They just get hands laid on them. That's what it says. The Spirit just fell, fell. When Peter's in Cornelius' house, he doesn't even get a chance to lay hands on them. While he is yet speaking, it says in Acts 10, the Spirit fell upon them. They started speaking in tongues and praising God. He didn't even get a chance to lay hands on them because the promise is there. The promise of the Spirit is available. I was once with a couple, actually here in Burgess Hill, years ago, years ago, and uh, a couple invited me uh, to uh, come and speak to them in their home about being filled with the Spirit. And uh, they'd not been Christians very long. I went to their home, and uh, I was going through the passage. They said, we want to be filled with the Spirit. Can you tell us about it? Some were looking through the Bible verses. And about halfway through the evening, this guy says to his wife, would you get some coffee, darling? And so she said, sure, sure. So she goes to the kitchen. And I'm, it must have been like Cornelius' house. I must have said enough. 
because she comes running back from the kitchen and says, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. And she's not talking about the coffee. I mean, she's been filled with the Spirit in the kitchen because the Spirit's available now. She suddenly understood. She saw it's for me. The promise is to you. It says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You, beloved, sitting here this morning, you can hear with faith. You can start receiving the Holy Spirit. She received in the kitchen. Never got a chance to be prayed for. She just, ah, it's for me. Just, just received, received. Not been saved very long, just received. Came and took. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And the waiting was just until the day of Pentecost. The waiting, listen, is not waiting till you're good enough because you'll never be good enough. It's not a prize for good works. It's a gift. It's not well done, have the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. See, that teaching, that kind of Keswick teaching that the Spirit comes later, it's almost like a general saying to his soldiers, go and fight. If you do really well, next time you can all have guns. You know, it's like, Try without first. Jesus said the exact opposite. Don't even start. Don't even think about it until you've been clothed with power. If we're going to, it's like Elisha said, if I'm going to do what you did, Jesus was clothed with power at his baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon him. If we're supposed to continue what he started, we need the same power. We need to receive power. We need to know we've received power. And these guys knew they'd received power power. The Spirit came upon them. There was no need to delay. So this verse is current now. There's no wait. There's no kind of, at the end, we don't say, so, not, yeah, I'm thirsty. No, not, not now. Not, no, now. Now is relevant. If anyone's thirsty, so, dear friends, this verse is alive this morning. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his guts shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit. We come, we receive. Why? Jesus said this, if you who are evil, like us, know how to give good gifts to your children, like us, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I remember asking Jesus to save me. I just asked. I got saved. I got born again. It happened there that night. Now you come and ask for the Holy Spirit. It's just as simple. Just as simple. Just as simple. If you're leading someone to Christ, just ask. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. Just ask. Come and drink. Come and take. Come and receive. See, that's how it was for me. I, went, I, I said about this guy, he said, come to London. He prayed for. I'll just tell you the story because we have difficulties. I know we do. And uh, I had difficulties. So I, I went to London and they had a visiting American preacher and they had this prayer meeting in the afternoon. This big guy, he'll come and pray. So, wow, he came in. He's a big, famous preacher. So he comes in, he, he's praying for people around the circle. He comes to me and I think I got my eye off the text. The Bible says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me, Jesus said. Come to Jesus and drink. Now, I think at this moment, I got my eyes off that, and I thought, here comes the man. He's going to do it to me. He's going to wave the wand over me. He's going to make it happen. 
And I'm, so he comes around, he puts his hands on my head, prays a prayer. Guess what I felt? Hands on my head. That was it. He went on. And I thought, what was that then? And they said, well, praise the Lord. I said, what do you mean praise the Lord? I came for London, nothing's happened. Because I'm expecting him to do something to me. Whereas Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, come and drink. Come to me and receive. We can do that at the end in a minute if you'd like to. People did earlier on. They came and drank. People were speaking in tongues here this morning before they left. Come and drink. Just come and take it. It's free. <laughs> it's free. It's free. We can come and receive. Because Jesus has done everything needful. Jesus has done it. He's removed all our guilt. He has qualified us for the gift. He's made us sons. And because we're sons, he pours the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So when they prayed, this guy prayed to me, nothing happened. And he went. I thought, wow, what was that then? And they said, no, no, look, look what it says, look what it says. They were very patient. I was the worst possible person. I argued. I said, I don't want, I want the real thing. And they said, no, look what it says in the Bible. So these dear, just friends of mine, they prayed with me again. They said, come on, let's just follow this verse through. And we said, Lord, I just come to you right now and I, I, just, I just come and drink. And they said, now you can praise them in your tongues. I said, how do you do that? Just do it, just do it. I said, well, I can't even do it. I just had the same conversation here half an hour ago. How do you do it? Just do it. The guy just did it. Oof, hallelujah. And I, I just began to speak and, and, and uh, I stopped. I said, I'm just making that up. I'm just, just making noise. That's very common. People think that. And then they said, look, just trust us. Just go for it. Just go on. So I did it again. I'm just carrying on a bit. And this guy's uh, fiancé is sitting there. She said, you're very clever making all this up. And, and I'd been doing it for a little while, I guess. And, and I, when I relaxed, and I thought, no, this is wonderful, actually. And I just kind of let flow, and I felt like a whoosh go right through me. And Abba, Father, and oh, God, I've known you for some years, but I've never known you this close. I've never known you like this. It's like, whoa, God, Abba, Abba, Father, you're my Father. And it was all new. And, and although at the beginning I said, oh, am I just making this up? Actually, what happened next was an evening service. And I went into that service. They all sat near the front of quite a large building in uh, northwest London. I sat at the back. I put my hand over my face. I spoke in tongues right through the service. About an hour and a half. I just didn't want to stop. I didn't want to stop. They said, oh, God, you're here. You're here. You're right in me. You're right in me. You changed my life. It was wonderful, actually, because um, a little while later, I'm, I'm in the Baptist church, you know, back in the 60s. And uh, I'm praying, Lord, help me to share this, but how do I do this without offending? I'm praying about it. And, and the young people went away for a weekend to Eastbourne, and about 70 of us, and they were sitting around this big lounge because we're supposed to be going for a walk and it's raining. And so the pastor said, oh, let's do a spontaneous thing. We sat around and we, saw, we said, we'll call it inreach and outreach. God has to help bless us so that we can outreach. Okay, let's talk about it. We sat down and without any warning, he looked straight at me. He said, Terry, something's happened to you. What's happened to you? I thought, ah, oh, ah. So I've been to the Pentecostals. They laid hands on me. I speak in tongues. <gasps> no, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say it like that. But I, you know, I shared gently, but told the story. And you could have heard a pin drop, and it stops. Like, now what? 
And, and he said to me, you must lay hands on all these young people. Very humble, godly man. He actually said, I'll come at the end of the queue. Amazing man. I had the privilege of laying hands on lots of those young people. And that summer, some of the girls played guitar. And we went down to the fish market. We went down to Brighton. Most Sunday afternoons through that summer. And I stood on a box. I preached the gospel. And they sang. Life was changed. Life was changed. Life was changed. The Holy Spirit had come. Our prayer came alive. Our prayer meetings came alive. God, God's kind of here in a way we'd never known before. And that young people's fellowship just suddenly burst into life. We started to move out and started to be useful to God in a new way. It was a wonderful experience. God was bringing his presence to us in a fresh way that was changing things. You are free to come and drink. Come and receive the promises to you, it says in the Bible. In fact, it says in Acts 2, the promise is to everyone that the Lord our God shall call. You're a Christian? You've been called? So you're a Christian, someone who's been called. called God, the Bible says he calls, doesn't call many mighty, he calls the weak, he calls us. We've been saved, we're called. The pro you have a promise from God. The promise of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's kind of the nickname of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. We come and receive the promise of the Father. It's a gift from God. It's freely given. I'm reminded of um, a meeting we were having once at the Hove Town Hall. And at the end, and uh, we're just beginning to, to go, you know, the guys get beginning to rattle his keys, people get out of here, and we're hiring the hall. And uh, I, a girl, I had the privilege of leading a student from the university, she came to Christ, which was uh, a real blessing. And then she said to me, it really surprised me, she said, is there more? I said, yeah, why do you ask? And she said, there's power in this meeting. Is there something more? I said, actually, there is. And arranged for her to come to my home the following weekend. And she came the following weekend, and she brought her roommate with her. And her roommate was called Suraji. I remember it very well. The girl was called Celia. Uh, and Suraji said to me, Celia's changed. I mean, she says she's become a Christian. I mean, she's changed. I share a room. She's a different girl. I'd like to become a Christian. So I said, oh, what a wonderful thing. So I had the joy of leading her to Christ. And then Celia said, hey, don't forget, hey, I came here to be filled with the Spirit or something. What is it? What is this about? So I took her through the Bible, like we've done this morning, and she said, right, can I pray? I said, yes, of course. I was just about to pray for her, and the other girl said, hey, what about me? Now Celia's been saved six days, She's been saved 20 minutes. I laid hands on both of them. They both got filled with the Spirit. They're both singing in tongues. They both went on their way, very happy bunnies. They had not become worthy. They had not become super Christians to make them worthy. They're just Christians, so the promise is to them. The promise is to them, like to you and to me. It's free. It's a gift. Gifts are free. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to sob your way to God. You just say, please, if anyone's thirsty, come, drink. We can come, we can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, God's been pouring out his Spirit around the world. God's doing phenomenal things. We'll hear about these Chinese guys who are going to come be with us next Sunday. They're seeing thousands saved 
They're seeing thousands filled with the Holy Spirit. The Chinese church is spirit flooded. Churches in South America, flooded with the Spirit. Churches in Africa, flooded with the Spirit. God is moving powerfully. We sometimes just need to get, that's why I spent time just helping us with our theology, because some of us, no, I was told this, no, I was told that. We just need to be biblical. Biblical. I'm not, I'm not experiential, I'm biblical. That's why I've come from the Bible. So the promise is to you. And maybe you say, well, I'd love to receive. Well, we can pray for you if you'd like us to. We can be prayed for this morning. We can be prayed for, we're going through a series now that will take several weeks talking about this wonderful Holy Spirit. And each week, guys will open up different perspectives on the Holy Spirit. But we want to be a Spirit-filled community. Because although I've spoken about the individual, the outworking is amongst us all. Many, many gifts, prophesying, healing, all sorts of gifts that we've become a Spirit-filled people. But it starts with that initial filling, that initial filling. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's stand, please. We're just going to pray. And if you'd like to be prayed for this morning, in a moment I'll just invite, if you'd like to be, uh, for you to come and be prayed for. Be prayed for. We can go out of this place like some did this morning. Hey, thrilled. Uh, people just got filled an hour ago in here. You could be filled with the Holy Spirit and celebrate a new experience of God's nearness and faithfulness. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you died to save us. You died to, Lord, record in heaven as we've been singing before the throne of God with a perfect plea, a great high priest. We thank you so much. You've, you've saved us eternally. We belong to you. We thank you, Lord. You said to your dear disciples, there's a promise coming to you, the promise of the Father. Lord, I just ask you this morning, Lord, there might be those this morning who come and drink, who meet with you afresh, who get introduced into a new dimension of knowing the Spirit's presence. So, Lord, come and meet with us, I pray.